Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to hear real life stories about how God works all things together for good, because he is always faithful and always good. Well, hey, before we get this party started, I have some exciting news for you. If you're ready to get your book in front of an entirely new and fast-growing market, an audiobook would be perfect for you. Having an audiobook gives you the opportunity to get your book in front of more people while giving the listener a new way to hear your story in an intimate way. An estimated 131 million people listen to an audiobook in 2021. And do you know that the people that listen to audiobooks don't read print books? They only listen to audiobooks. So it's a whole new market for you to take advantage of. Leverage the opportunity of getting your book in front of millions of people by having an audiobook today. We can help you create one. Visit redemptionpressaudio.com for our introductory special. Welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am super excited to introduce you to another new Redemption Press author, Dr. John Hodgson, and his new book, Healing the System. Dr. John McBee Hodgson is an internationally recognized cardiologist who is committed to improving the way healthcare systems work. His vast experience in academic and community hospitals, multi-city systems, small rural hospitals, private practice, and academic employed practice gives him a unique experience and perspective on what is working and what is not in today's healthcare system. John is a tenured professor of medicine, entrepreneur, inventor, and certified life coach. He and his wife, Dinah, reside in Moreland Hills, Ohio. And this is an incredible conversation. You are gonna enjoy it. Let's roll that tape. Well, Dr. John, it is great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being with us on the All Things Podcast. Thank you, Athena. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Well, before we jump into your new book, which I love, that it's a resource for all of us to have, a, to give as a gift to our favorite doctor or just to someone in the healthcare industry. I just love this. It's it's so not the norm of what I get to interview about. So it's super fun to be with you today and to talk about that. But before we go there, I would love for our listening audience to just hear of a time in your life when God showed his character of that Romans 8:28, where he took something that was would be hard to even see how he could redeem it and that he was able to use it for good in your life. Well, thanks. And it was not something that I would have recognized at the time, but um, many people know that when I was seven, my father died of Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, so this was in 1960. 
It was just when some of the chemotherapy treatments were coming out. Nowadays, that's very curable. So, you know, had he lived nowadays, he probably would still be alive. But it created in a seven-year-old an awareness about medicine and about death. And, and by the early 60s, I was already sort of being led and committed towards helping others and, and avoiding anyone else having to go through that kind of pain. And so in a, in a very long way, <laughs> lengthy way, it led me into the field of medicine and uh, has colored and shaped the way I interact with people um, and how I have become so passionate about healing the system and making it better than it is right now. Wow. I, you know, to have a loss like that, it's hard to conceive that anything good can come from that. But to see that that loss as a seven-year-old boy, would God would use that to put you in a position to be able to help others. And wow, that's a pretty cool Romans 8, 28 story. I love that. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we're going to jump on in to um, some questions about your book. Um, and I'm going to formally call you Dr. Hodgson. And then since we know each other and we've worked together and done the Christian Product Expo together, I'll call you John after that, if that's okay with you. Perfect. All right. So uh, Dr. Hodgson, tell us what you experience on a daily basis with the current healthcare system and then what led you to writing Healing the System? Well, as um your listeners may not know, I'm getting up there a little bit in age. And so I've experienced the system over many years and have watched it change from one that was really mission driven towards helping the sick, poor, the needy into one that is more business driven. And along with that has come a number of uh, changes in the way we interact with patients and the way we go about our day-to-day -day business uh, that I have felt um, uncomfortable with or that has created some dissonance in me because it, it has taken what, what we always were taught and what we felt in the big beginning was a, was a healing profession, a healing ministry, and turned it into just a business where we are just worker bees checking boxes so that bills can go out and companies can make money. And um, it, after experiencing those changes, which happened over many years, uh, I just felt it important to point that out and to point out that with very simple changes, we could regain some of that missional um, feeling to what we do and bring back some of the joy and fun that we used to have practicing medicine. Mm, that is so good. So you have been a respected cardiologist for more than 30 years. So what did your practice used to be like maybe say in the 80s or 90s yeah. before the days of, okay, RVUs and CPT codes? You're going to have to tell us what that means yeah, yeah. And, and how things changed in the past decade with the pandemic. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, it, it's hard to put that in a really quick podcast. but okay. Yeah. <laughs> You know, in the really old days, 60s, 70s, um, 
you know, we took care of patients. We wrote some notes with a pen in a piece of paper in the chart that explained what we were doing and why we were doing it so that we could communicate with each other and we could have a document to follow a patient's progress with. Okay, so it started out innocently enough with CPT codes, which were common procedural terminology codes, so that the people who were looking at the charts could have a common you know, dictionary, if you will, for what it is we're doing. So if we did a particular procedure, we all would call it the same thing and it had a code and everybody knew what that was. Um, it's just like defining the colors, you know, blue is blue and green is green. And, you know, that's, so we didn't have that before. So CPT has helped with that. But then of course the government got a hold of it and decided, hey, this would be a good way to categorize, you know, bills and how much we're going to pay for different things. Cause now we have a code for everything. We can decide what, what's worth what. And um, they commissioned a study from the American Medical Association and Harvard to work out these things called RVUs, relative value units, which looks at all the different factors that go into performing a particular function, whether that's you know fixing a broken hip or doing a physical exam, whatever it is that a provider might do. And they ranked it in terms of how much that was worth, if you will, what, what the relative value of that was. Mm. And then if you combine all that together, you have a very easy way to say, okay, you did a hip fracture repair and um, that has this code and it's worth that much value. And now all we have to do is put a dollar amount on that value and now we can bill everybody the same and keep track of it all. So uh, everything became now driven by that. And so every day now when we do anything, we have to check a box, which is the CPT code that is associated with some kind of an RVU and they can keep track of you know, how much relative value we're providing to the system. <laughs> so wow. our productivity is measured that way. Oftentimes our compensation is determined by how productive you are, um, not by your outcomes, not by whether people got better or not, but by how many boxes did you check and what was the value of those? So um, it, there is an attempt to go back a little bit towards more outcomes-based measures. In other words, we're going to reward you if patients do well, but a lot of times it's done more in a, in a punitive way than in a positive way. So if somebody you know is in the hospital, treated for pneumonia, and they go home, but then they come back three days later and they still have pneumonia, then you get penalized because obviously you probably did a bad job. That's why they had to come back to the hospital. They got readmitted. Therefore, that's a bad thing. So um, you get penalized. Uh, on the other hand, it might be better if you said, okay, I'm going to institute a prevention program and I'm going to try to prevent people from having a heart attack in the future. And if I do that successfully, then I get rewarded for having that positive outcome. Harder to do that, harder to quantitate that. Not impossible, but harder. Um, so we've become very regulated and very measured in what we do for things which don't always correlate with taking good care of a patient, being a good doc, caring for the whole 
patient, all their social situations, their family, dealing with all the other stuff that goes along with being ill. So that, now I'm connecting the dots because I'm thinking of the last three or four times I had to go to the doctor because I don't usually ha have to go. That's not a common thing for me, but I just felt like completely rushed in and out. Like it was not at all what I remember it being like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. So I um, just cannot even imagine on your end how that would, would be troubling. And <clears throat> You've, I mean, I'm guessing you've personally experienced those feelings of discontentment with your profession. So how would you describe that? And what did you, what did you do and what do you do now to re-energize? Yeah. So just, just to get back to why you're seeing a difference, um, it's, it's very straightforward. Okay. The, the conversion factor, the dollar amount they give per relative value unit has not been adjusted for inflation. So in 1990, for example, let's say something was worth $100, okay? Well, today it may still be worth $100, but inflation has gone up a lot. So its actual purchasing power might be $50, okay? Right. So it's pretty easy to see if you wanna maintain the same level of income you have to do more stuff, okay? You, you've got to build more events. Uh, and so what we used to be able to spend a half an hour, an hour talking to a patient about something, now we have to do that in 10 minutes for the institution or the physician to you know, be able to recoup the same amount of reimbursement. So that's why you are getting rushed, absolutely. And it's because um, this system has not accounted for inflation. And in fact, it's often reduced the relative value units for a given procedure over time. So it, it, it's a double whammy. You're getting less value and you're getting paid at a lower rate than inflation would suggest. Too complicated for the average person, but if you're sensing you're getting rushed in and out of your doctor's office, that's the reason. It's because they need to, you know, you need to check more boxes to right. get the same amount of money and every business needs to stay afloat. So, wow. Um, but I have been fortunate in that I've been in uh, so-called academic medicine, which means that I've been employed typically by a university or a university hospital. And my salary was not really dependent on how much I did. It was dependent on the value I brought to that academic institution, my teaching, my research, and all that sort of stuff. Now, I used to have a whole lot more time to do teaching and research before all these codes came in. Right. But once the codes came in, then I had to figure out a way to make up that money. If I wanted to spend a day a week doing research, I needed to find a day's worth of money from somewhere else, a research grant or something else. So um, the days when it was good to have a professor at a university because it brought esteem and it was valuable to teach people, um, those are gone. Now, now you, there is no value assigned to that. If you want to take home any money, you have to earn it. 
And the only way we can earn it is by checking those boxes. Mm. So when I used to be able to do a lot more teaching, traveling, research, um, that capability now uh, requires some sort of external support if you want to be able to do that. The, the days when you could do all of that and just be employed um, are kind of over. You have to be able to justify and pay for all of your time. Wow. Which, you know, totally takes away from that original desire to do, to be in the medical field to help people. Right. Well, in a few, and I go through this every single day when I'm um, seeing patients in the office and I get someone who's has a more complicated problem or is a little bit more needy or needs more explanation. I know it's going to throw me behind. And, but in my heart, I want to give that to them. They've come a long way, waited weeks to come in and, and I, and I owe that to them in my mind. But at the same time, I'll have three other people waiting in the waiting room who are getting delayed, who are now going to be angry because they think it should be like Wendy's and they should be able to just drive through and get their appointment done exactly right on time and nothing will happen. And so there's a, a cultural bias against being delayed. And yet there's my own feeling that everyone should get all the time they really need. And at one point in my career, I had a concierge practice and I could do that. Um, but trying to run a concierge practice in 2008 during the recession was not very, uh, very successful, let's just say. <laughs> wow. So, okay, I'm going to hop to um, a question because this really is a great uh, teaching tool for those who are administrators, healthcare providers, systems managers, staff in hospitals. Um, what do you hope comes out of the ideas that you provide in the book for those kind of people? Sure. Well, obviously with Obamacare and, and all of these things in the news, people have been talking about, you know, what's wrong with the healthcare system? How can we change it? A lot of that focuses on patient access, who can get care, how much does it cost, et cetera. And I'm not addressing any of that. I, that's a huge, big elephant in the room that, that I don't think we're going to solve very quickly. What I'm addressing is what we can do on a day-to-day -day basis to bring back some of the missional culture that we used to have. And I've outlined a number of very easily accomplishable steps that we as providers or we as administrators could do that bring some of that personal touch back into, into the medical environment um, that don't cost a lot of money, don't require legislation, don't require the Senate, the House, or anybody else to approve it. Just things that we can do, the way we can interact with each other, um, recognition of the provider's role, um, not just as a cost center on, a, on the bottom line, but as integral to delivering excellent care. Um, and we've done it through discussion of a number of different values um, that I believe we have um, 
somehow lost in the healthcare space. So I talk about um, uh, TEACH, T-E-A-C-H. It's an acronym for teaming. Uh, we've lost the ability to team because everybody's in little silos trying to check as many boxes as they can. Uh, equity, which is a sense of belonging to something or having ownership in something. You know, I, this is my hospital. The hospital says those are my doctors, um, as opposed to just a warm body who happens to be able to check boxes for us. Um, administration, physicians used to lead and run the hospitals. Now they're just, you know, accessories that we need to hire and keep somebody there. And it really doesn't matter who it is. If that one leaves, we'll get another one. Um, but involving providers in the administration of the system um, gives them ownership, allows their expertise to come to bear on delivery of excellent care. Community. Um, everybody wants to feel like part of a community. That's the C. Um, there's a lot of uh, data about that in non-healthcare environments, but in healthcare, it's just as important. We want to work with people that we enjoy, who we get to know, who we're friends with, where we feel comfortable. Um, and again, because of the silos and because of the busy work days, we, we've overlooked some simple things we can do to build community. And the last one is honor. Everybody needs to be treated with honor. Every patient, every staff person, the housekeepers to the CEOs all need to be treated with honor. And we don't always do that very well. Wow. So I just cannot imagine. I mean, this is a message that we as just lay people Everybody knows a doctor. Everybody knows someone that works in that yeah. system. This, what a great gift. I think it is. And, you know, and I've tried to present a bunch of little things that I have learned over the years. And I've been fortunate to work in many, many institutions all over the country, as well as several outside the country. And these are just going after fundamental human interaction things. And I'll give you just a couple little examples. Um, I, it, sometimes, you know, we go into these generic offices, but I will get some artwork and hang it up because I want the place to look nice. Uh, or I will, um, get some, um, plastics, not the right, silk, silk flowers <laughs> that, that I'll put in there that I know aren't going to, you know, need watering or care for, but just to, to make the environment look more hospitable. Um, I will often uh, stop at a store, grab a bouquet of flowers. I've got a couple of uh, vases at, at work and I'll keep them handy and I'll just put a bouquet of flowers up at the nurse's station. Okay. Um, it, it's just to show that, hey, we're all in this together. I appreciate you guys and, and um, let's... Uh, make our environment one that we we take some ownership and we enjoy and we want it to look nice. Uh, I went in one night after hours and painted an accent wall in the intensive care unit because it was so awful and ugly and dirty. And I got in a lot of trouble for that because the unions and all that kind of stuff. And what if I use some kind of toxic paint, which of course I didn't, I used the same paint they did. But, um, but I, I, wa I, I wanted it to look 
and I wanted to honor the patients and the staff and everybody to have a good work environment. So it's just little stuff. Um, make sure you celebrate birthdays. Um, we had a, um, a wall of, uh, of honor for people who've done especially good uh, deeds in the hospital or people who've been there a long time and contributed. And, and it's very easy to have a little ceremony and present them with an award, whether it's employee of the year or, or lifetime achievement award or something like that. These are easy things to do that, that, um, that we don't do enough of. Mm, so good. So if you could go back, as we wrap this up, if you could go back and pick your profession all over again, would you still choose to be a doctor knowing what you know now? Um, I, I would, because I know I had a calling to do it and I have the personality to do it. But I am very um, direct with younger folks who are considering it. And I mentor several and I've got high school kids or, you know, friends whose children are thinking about medicine, they want me to talk to them about it. But I'm very frank with them. I said, listen, this is not something to do because it just looks really cool. Um, it's hard work. The hours are very long and grueling, and there's no way around that. Um, and you have to have a calling to it and a, and a personality that can deal with change and suddenness and getting called out of your kid's birthday party. Um, you know. I, and that's not for everybody. It's just not for everybody. So, but, but yes, I still think it is a noble profession. And I think we're going to come out of this sort of business driven administrator heavy uh, couple of years that we've been in. And we're going to get back to some of these other things. And then it will be enjoyable. Okay? Mm. Enjoyable. It's, it's a wonderful profession. It's intellectually stimulating. And with some of the changes I'm suggesting here, it can actually be fun to go in every day and interact with other people. Wow. I love that. So those of you listening, I want to ask you to go buy three or four copies of this book so that you can give it as a gift to those in any area of healthcare. You, it doesn't have to be your doctor. Could be someone at the nurse's station. I mean, there's lots of places that you could use this message to bless people in that industry. So Dr. John, if we have people listening and they want to maybe connect with you on social media or online, what is the best place for them to do that? Um, they can go to HodgsonLeadershipSolutions.com. So HodgsonLeadershipSolutions.com. Perfect. And Absolutely. Healing the system. Great resource for all of us who know someone in that industry and want to be an encouragement to them. So, John, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been absolutely delightful. Well, thank you, Athena. Well, thanks so much for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Romans 828 Bookstore and Redemption Press. If today's episode encouraged you, we would love to have you share it with your friends on social media and maybe even leave a review on Apple. That will help the algorithms get us up higher to the top when people are searching for podcasts that can bring them hope and encouragement. So thanks again for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Bye for now.